0: welcome to data as a team sport this is school of data's podcast series exploring the ever-evolving data literacy ecosystem other episodes in this series focus on specific areas within the ecosystem such as enabling learning advocacy data in a humanitarian context tool development and government These podcasts were edited from live online conversations, and you can find the video of that conversation, notes, and links to all the resources we mentioned, along with other episodes in the blog at schoolofdata.org. I'm your host, Dirk Slater, and I have an agency called FabWriters, and along with being an active member of the School of Data community, we also help advocates and activists design tactics that utilize data to accelerate social change campaign strategies. You can learn more about us at fabwriters.net. Helping me out both behind and in front of the scenes is Caitlin Rogers from School of Data. In this episode, Mentors, Mediators, and Mad Skills, I'm talking with Emma Prest, who oversees the running of DataKind UK and leads the community of volunteers and also building an understanding of what data science can do in the charitable sector. I'm also chatting with Tim Geber. An independent freelancer based in Zagreb with over a decade experience as a creative strategist, designer, and technologist with experience in human-centered program and service design. Emma started us off by telling us about how DataKind UK came to understand and use the term data maturity in their work with charitable organizations.
1: Um, So we got really excited by the idea of data maturity a few years ago, um, and found that loads of companies in the private sector had spent ages developing kind of data maturity frameworks and understanding what it means. Um, and so, we thought, um, you know, uh-oh, better, better work out what this means for the nonprofit space. Um, and so, last year, uh, we teamed up with a another organization called Data Orchard, and we um, actually did a survey with 200 nonprofits and interviewed 12 and like came up with this whole framework and and tried to really like get to grips with what data maturity means for an organisation as a whole, um, and it basically, unsurprisingly, came down to some really, you know, important stuff around people. A lot of it's around kind of leadership, whether leadership is interested in data, in making data-driven decisions, whether the culture is open, and whether people share data between teams in an organisation. Um, also, what skills are in house. Um, plus other things like whether the organization collects data, what what kinds of technology the nonprofit uses, um, the kinds of analysis they do, uh, what they use data for. Um, So, we built this kind of data maturity framework. um, And so, we've been using it a lot to understand what an organization is doing with data, whether they need someone to come in and just help them with some spreadsheet stuff, or whether they need... More sophisticated analytical support or, or data science, which is what DataKind does. Um, and, and as we've kind of been going through this, one of the things that kept coming back and coming out of this research was that organizations and nonprofits want to do more with data, but they just don't know what that is. They don't know what good looks like. They've never come across an organization that uses data well, so they have like no example of like, suppose like a role model, which is really interesting. Um, and so what we do at DataKind is we uh, partner with a nonprofit and we run often what is like one of their first data projects with them and we hold their hand from beginning to the end of the project um in the hope that they you know through the process understand what makes for a good analytical question what's good about their data what's not so good about their data like what you know what kinds of things data analysts and data scientists can do what they can't do um, and then also at the end we, we write up a case study and we, and we try to kind of you know promote that as an example to others um, and so what what we've seen as the data kind of, what our lessons are is that you've got to uh you got to do it with people <laughs> you can't just tell them you can't just show them you've got to like do the project with someone and that's like the best way of them really getting to grips with with data
0: and so, I mean, and and this is the piece that I think is really really critical for people to understand in terms of like you know training is just going to get you uh, so far in sort of raising the awareness and possibly just getting that like open opening their people's minds into understanding like how to move forward. But this this bit in terms of what you're saying in terms of data maturity, which is like you know how does an organization understand? what good data practice is, is really through this this thing of of doing, you know, running a project with them and getting them to have that understanding of, you know, here is good and it is their own understanding, right?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's quite hard because I think you need people who kind of often, junior people who have the skills and have the energy and enthusiasm to do it, but you need other like, managers to have a certain amount of data literacy. You need leaders to be brought into it and willing to like invest in it because obviously you often need to, Buy new software and send some of your staff on training and so you need people throughout the whole organization to be brought into it to actually make it work um, and you know as we know data is a team sport it's not just like <laughs> you hire a data person and put them in the corner and no one talks to them that doesn't work <laughs> um it needs to be something that's like throughout the whole organization
0: right and and it's also that piece of understanding when you need to to reach out to get external expertise um and what you shouldn't also, be having in-house because you need to devote resources and capacity to those very important things um, and not beyond. Let me grab Tin here and, and get him to, to share a bit of insights in your experiences, I mean, of, of working with a variety of different kinds of organizations and getting them to get beyond, you know, just understanding that piece of like, here's how we move forward. Uh, Well, yeah. First of all, Emma,
2: the 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 comment on uh, uh, on organizations not knowing what doing good data stuff is is like it's it's vital and fundamental. Uh, That's such a good point. Um, So I mostly work with organizations. I mean, mostly you know activists and uh, groups, advocacy groups. of you know small to medium size. I've lately been working a lot in the Balkans in Eastern Europe, which is you know a very particular context uh, in itself. So, but I've, I've also worked in other contexts. But I will try to kind of like focus on a region when I make some examples, so that they are not all over the place. Um, and uh, like the one, like the, a big thing that I noticed is that uh, when an organization tries to approach, you know, data and technology and uh, link it into their processes, there's this like um, in the process of learning technology, tech at the beginning is hard, then it becomes easy, then it becomes hard again. Because at the beginning, it's hard because there are so many unknown unknowns. You have no idea what the words mean and how to use the tools that you might be using. Uh, and then when you start learning about all the possibilities that technology can give you, it starts looking really easy because technology seems to be the answer to everything. And that's where your organizations get really excited. And then they usually like dive in, but then they hit the wall with the second part, which is, you know, technology holds a lot of promises, but it's actually really hard to implement once you get into the actual implementation phase. And um, and it's always fun to see like organizations going through this process and going through it at the end to be like, oh, okay, now I understand it's not as difficult as I thought at the beginning, but it's also not as you know wonderful unicorny as I thought in the in the middle. It's like a realistic consideration of what is and is not possible. Um, and I think the one thing that i like the like, my main lesson is also linking back to what Emma said, that you know, the best way to teach people, like, to actually integrate data into their process is to be with them. Uh, usually, like, the way I, when I work with organizations, what I love the most is working on a specific project, especially if an organization has uh, an opportunity to start a new project that involves more technological uh, capacity than before, and then use that project as a testing ground as to what does it mean to become a more, like, Tech, you know tech literate or tech mature organization. I've had a, like the a very good fortune of working now with the Croatian a transparency organization Gong that decided to build um, a politically exposed persons database and also to use this big two-year project as like this big step towards becoming a technologically mature organization and basically you know, testing out all the different ways in which technology can be integrated and where it should or could be integrated on a larger uh, in a larger organizational
0: framework. You're both working with a variety of different kinds of organizations, and 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 tin just a little bit in that, like you know, you mentioned sort of the different geographic uh, organizations, uh, de- geographical regions, uh, and organizations that you're working with. Like, what do you see as the main differences between those those different kinds of organizations in in working with them around their needs? And the needs in you know in building up their technology, uh, yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, well, I mean, apart from the obvious, uh, you know, contextual stuff that, uh, you know, that, that people can, you know, make a list of, you know, if you don't have Internet, then it's pretty hard to think about how to start working with technology. And I think like the two main dimensions of uh, where, you know, differences come out are um, uh, geopolitical and uh, stakeholder based. On the geopolitical side, it is like all the context is there, like who are you working with? What are you working on? uh, What kind of environment and culture there is in your uh, in your country specifically? Uh, I mean, I work a lot with organizations working on a on a subnational or national level. Um, And uh, while you can count on, you know, support from groups from outside that region or outside that country, it is not as. As you know, useful as it is, creating like strong national or subnational networks with you know technologists and other organizations, and so that's that's like the biggest kind of challenge because every single country, every single culture has a completely different uh, approach to things. All things tech, and the other is a stakeholder. It's like who are you working with? Uh, if you're like a government, uh, like a transparency and accountability organization, if you're all about like uh, anti-corruption and transparency of the government, then your biggest problem is the government. And it's you know your issues and your challenges are not your own first and foremost, but it's about whose data you're using and how open they are to sharing it, uh, what kind of you know political environment there is, and uh, and so on.
0: Emma would love to get your take on that question too, because I know Data DataKind UK is focused in the UK, but you guys are working with like. A lot of different kinds of of organizations within that. So curious in terms of what you see, are the major differences, say, between advocacy organizations, service organizations, or any other different kinds that that DataKind is working with?
1: Yeah. Um, so I suppose we have it slightly easier than Tin in that we are mainly working with UK organizations, and it's it's one more or less homogenous culture, and, and we kind of you know have a uh, so we're all starting from the same page. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we found that a lot of um, service delivery organizations um, are, like, I suppose it's much more uh, obvious and intuitive to work with them from a data science perspective. Um, so if you think that they are providing this, the same kinds of services to the same groups, populations of people on repeat, um, and that data science is really great at optimizing processes. Um, so if you think that, like, Amazon uses algorithms to sell more stuff to certain kinds of people, you can use those same you know, data science tools and techniques to, to better understand who, who your users are as a service, to understand who's more likely to do well in your program or who's likely to drop out. Or, um, so that's, that works, I'd say, from a data science perspective really well. Um, and we started to make a bit of a foray into working with advocacy and campaigning organizations recently. And I'd say that slight, they, you know, they're not necessarily doing the same thing on repeat. They like, research or investigate something, do a campaign around it, and then go off do something else. So it's not always exactly the same. Um, but that said, we did, we've got a couple of projects actually with Global Witness, which um, is really interesting. So um, one of them is around trying to identify kind of anomalous or unusual company behaviour. Um, so traditionally, Global Witness gets like leaked. Um, you know, people or organizations that should investigate um, or they get leads in other ways. So this is like, can you actually systematically be trawling through data to generate leads of what looks like slightly strange behavior that their investigators should should, uh, look into? Um, And then also there's another project going on with Datakind where they're using satellite imagery to look at um, kind of mining activity. Um, So, I mean, I think from a data science perspective, there's you know, all kinds of applications across different kinds of organizations. Um, but one of the things we're much more interested in is like the, the impact we can have. Um, and we find that if we're working with small to medium-sized nonprofits, we can have quite an immediate impact. And if we're working with like some of the really big guns organizations, it's a slower process, obviously. Um, <laughs> and it's harder, I think, to kind of create change and to have you know you, there's no immediate like kapow of a project um because things just take a long time and you have to get so much sign off um so i think you know we've got a really clear idea of what we can do with say like a small homelessness charity um uh, and, and we do prefer i suppose to work those kinds of organizations
0: well i know it's interesting because i think um you know yeah small organization in terms of of being able to to deliver impact in in is is in some ways, much much easier, um not much easier, but but can be more rewarding for somebody um that is working as the mediator um between a, a couple of different organizations. But the other thing that um I think is quite critical, um one is this this uh, this thing, i'm and I'm glad you mentioned the Global Witness project because the last uh, uh, episode we had around advocacy organizations with uh, um Sam Leon from Global Witness. Like he, he started to bring up, you know, w- how important it was to be able to bring in people from the outside and also people that um, are are working with organizations and sort of get those sort of shared lessons learned. So, you know, one of the um, critical things that we can do as, uh, uh, sorry, I'm going to use the word intermediary, but, you know, as, as somebody that uh, working with multiple organizations is Carry the the relevant stories for each organization's in terms of you know um, how does this work with somebody else and and often people will learn very very well from sort of the peer organizations and putting them in touch with that um, so really critical but I'm curious uh, Emma um, in terms of of all the different types of organizations that you see within the UK. Um, where do you really see gaps in the ecosystem?
1: So actually, I'm going to tie back to the last um, podcast in this series because I think what's really interesting is that for so if we're if we're trying to bring about change within nonprofits and we're trying to be more effective and efficient and we believe the data and technology can do that, and for the for large organisations, you need the Malenas and the Sams, you need the people who are the the barge turners who are there internally and dealing with all the political stuff and you know. And they know at what point to bring in someone external. Um, that I think those people are, are fundamental and are quite quite rare. <laughs> um, and I don't entirely know how you create more Malenas and Sams in this world. Um, I think there are different ways. I think kind of mentorship actually is one really interesting way. So having, you know, having probably Malena and Sam go on to mentor other people in equivalent big INGOs who are trying to do those things would be great. I think like fellows as well, having embedding people in organizations, as we said earlier, like you, you know, you need to hold people's hands and show them how to do it. Um, so while there is a role for training, um, I I don't think training in and of itself is enough. Um, although that said, I do think there needs to be a lot more like hard training of like data skills and data analysis, um, because there actually aren't even that many courses available for, for people to send people on, especially if you think that most NGOs are doing, same analysis they're looking at who's having which outcomes in which program and it's the same stuff over and over again like you know we should have sorted that out by now there should just be like a one-week training course people can go on to like see how other organizations do it and see what tools there are um yeah so i think there's something around training sorry you mean something
2: like a dashboard
1: yes we need a dashboard an online training dashboard with a mooc attached that will just solve everyone's (laughs) problems (laughs) 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So anyways, I just feel like there's something a bit more around like having peer-to-peer networks, actually. Um, so at Datakind, we've really just, early days, we've just started um, a network bringing together all the data scientists data analysts we've kind of found in the the in civil society in the uk and brought them together into a group um and they've named named themselves the social data society um, and they're meeting every two months at the moment um That's cool. so, yeah so that, there are a couple of different models uh, i think there's like a, a just a massive gap actually in terms of where people get support um in this in data in data literacy
0: I love that. And I I think that bit, too, of like, you know, trying to uh, uh, to connect like it, it isn't so much of like us or intermediaries walking in and saying, here's the expertise, you know, here's our expertise and we can sh- show you all the solutions. But actually connecting people to other people that have, you know, done it in the real world and are more the peers, connecting those folks and 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 getting that network of practice where they're not just um, uh learning from each other in terms of how do you use data, but they're also building solidarity, right? And understanding each other's issues and stuff like that. Those networks of practice can be hugely powerful. But um curious, Tim, for you, where, where do you see gaps in, in the sort of data ecosystem? Um,
2: well, first of all, plus 1,000 to everything Emma said. Um, I think like, first of all, if we think about uh, if I take the the ecosystem concept and kind of like think about the entire system of different types of players in a uh, within the within you know any kind of social good project, which means you know adversaries and different stakeholders, I think a one big one is uh, one big gap is just the quality of the data that groups are working with that comes from the data producers themselves, which is sometimes you know dishearteningly bad um so sometimes you know some organizations are just simply hobbled in their you know their their quest to use data properly because the data they get isn't proper um but speaking specifically about the organizations i think um first of all the big one is as emma said as well these like the, the, emma's, the, the emmas the emmas the sams and the milenas and the emmas of the world um because uh, the tech bridge person is and it's also kind of like not good calling that person a tech bridge person because it's not a tech bridge it's a bridge between um let's call it you know tech and 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 social good for lack of a less horrible term uh, in the sense that specialization is great. It's really good to have organizations really that do something really well. Um, And nobody should or could know everything about, data and technology and social good and campaigning and advocacy and everything. Uh, But then you need this figure that's capable of understanding where and how those combine and can talk together. Um, and that's that, that's not a training that's as you know, as Emma said, that's a long, long process. It needs to be long and embedded. It's not a parachuter coming in and saying, pointing a finger and saying, this is how you should do things by, it's about having somebody internally and constantly, you know, fixing and, and um, coordinating and compensating for how the, the organizational system changes. And to make that work, I think where training is very useful is on the fundamentals of data and technology across the board of the whole organization. Um, just the other week, we tried this. We had a three-week tra- workshop with civil society in, in Serbia and in Belgrade, and we tried to do a double whammy of working on their projects from you know, uh, a, a strategy perspective and also getting some basic, fundamental, but actually you know, uh, practical uh, skills in uh, web development Not because we are thinking that everybody there will actually like create their own websites, but because it's really important to get that knowledge in your fingers about what does it mean, for example, to actually to to write code. Why is it so important to like not to skip a column when you write a line? Uh, Because that is like this like fundamental ambient knowledge and understanding of what technology is behind the hood that you don't need to actually do. But you need to, if you're comfortable with it and if you're familiar with it, you know what to ask for, what not to ask for. And what are the limits and what how much you can push for certain things? And that is something that goes you know, across the board. I think everybody should have a much higher fundamental ambient knowledge of what tech can or cannot do in the social good sector. We could also flip it on the other side and say that, you know, organizations should also have the same kind of fundamental ba- uh, background knowledge of the social good part of things, which is also something that's lacking. But I think, uh, you know, my my first win from would be to get the social good you know sector to improve their data fundamentals, and the last dimension is time. Like if we think of an ecosystem, mm-hmm. it's you know giving time to these things. Ne- like one one off training will never will never be you know even remotely as useful as a six month or a year long, or like a continuous you know embedding of a certain process. These things take time because you know. The you know, classic 10,000 hours together, you know, to become a virtuoso in something time needs to pass and practical practical stuff needs to get into your you know fingertips.
0: You're listening to data as a team sport. In this episode, mentors, mediators, and mad skills, I'm talking with Tin Geber and Emma Prest about supporting and developing the champions within organizations that can drive data maturity. This thing that you've just raised, right, around time. Um, uh, that is the thing that you know is the resource that most organizations that w- that we're working with have the least of um and you know when you when you, you want to, when you see somebody that you know is a champion or an organization that you know is getting beyond the uh just the demystification of the data stuff and they need all that handholding um like i'm I'm curious like for me one of the things that I've found. Uh, in being, in, in, in doing mentorship is, uh, um, you know, trying to, to do routine points of communication that are not, you know, terribly long for people. So to say, okay, so we're going to talk every two weeks for 30 minutes or for an hour, just to talk about what challenges you have and how you're going to get through that. And within that, you know, that, that you know little bit of time becomes extra valuable because it isn't that long and people are talking through what challenges they're facing and you're sort of helping them move that forward so just curious if you guys if that resonates with you guys have you you know had some greater some experiences in doing the mentorship and in a way that doesn't cut that much into into time for people.
2: Like from my perspective, I'm—I mean, I am a parachuter personally. I'm like the the, the freelancer the independent freelancer part is you know that life is that of a parachuter and that's just the way it is um but uh inevitably with every single project i mean there's there's always a long tail of of follow up and there's always a prep part to any kind of support that any organization gets because otherwise i mean it cannot be without it because nothing 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 can be f- like squeezed into a two day training right uh, that's just the way it is and uh, I think I mean uh, and I think from the parachute perspective knowing that and making sure that you allow for that and giving people time also to marinate on what they learn and then actually physically be there actually not physically in their in the room but you know be there for them actively through throughout their marination marinating process marination I, mean, I like not di- digestion and I, I will start I will stop spewing culinary words, um, but I think it's uh, that. I mean, I think that is like, that speaks to to like to the importance of having people actually embedded really organically within the organization. And um, again, the you know the, the and millennials of the world, because it you know, always needs to be a continuous continuous dynamic process. Especially because you know externalities, things happen, and uh, every project needs to be able to you know adapt to whatever
0: comes out. Cool. Emma, did you have any further thoughts on mentorship?
1: Um, So I've been mentored, and I I am mentoring. And I actually don't think the time – I think, like, when it's valuable for you, you make the time. I mean, I would, I remember, actively look forward to getting to spend time with someone every two weeks because then I could – all the gnarliest like challenges I was thinking that I would just save up to discuss with that person. <laughs> and, it, and it was fantastic. Um, so I think it's to me a good relationship. I don't think it's a, it's a time thing. I think it's like, it's really crucial to finding the right person I think also, and that has the right experience because I think frankly, there aren't that many people out there who do have huge amounts of experience in, in you know, implementing and embedding, um, technology and data in the nonprofit space. Um, but I think it is, I mean, I kind of feel like everyone should have a, a mentor at all times that I'm, I feel like I need to find myself a new mentor, to
0: be honest. <laughs> <laughs> We've been hearing a lot in terms of things like fake news and post fact, and um, some of the data driven confusion um, that's been going on, where people are are uh, using data in the news to sort of mask realities rather than expose them. Just curious, for uh, for either of you, have have your practices changed as a result of this?
1: I don't know if our practices have changed. I think if anything, it spurs, spurs you on to keep going. Um, and I think it's, as you see how people can be manipulated, you, you want them to have better data literacy. You want them to be more critical. You want the nonprofits you're working with to be able to kind of articulate and back up the decisions they're making with data. Um, I, data kind of the States actually after election of trump put out a specific call for projects working the the kind of democratic freedom space so they really quite quickly responded and said no we want to like support civil society to to tackle this um so it didn't actually change the projects we're working on but um i think maybe it just makes it even more important for us to keep going in in what we do
2: um i have two two answers to that question a professional one a personal (laughs) one (laughs) Uh, on the professional side, I think like if we focus on the, if we talk about the Balkans, I, I think uh, like an important thing to mention is that. Uh, Fake news has been around for a long time here. <laughs> um, that's that's just how we roll in the Balkans. <laughs> um, I mean, we actually joke with like organizations here in the Balkans when uh, when uh, like we connect with organizations from the U.S. that are you know kind of panicking in panic mode now, like not knowing how to uh, engage with all the like the new like dogmas coming out. We are like, oh sweeties, should we just come there? Do you want to hand me? <laughs> We know about this stuff. We've been living with it for a while now. Um, um, I think the, the the one the one thing that is uh, that has changed professionally is that this whole fake news thing is a good wake up call for the fact that you know data doesn't necessarily or doesn't always beat dogma. And it's a very clear, you know, vivid uh, uh, call for the organizations who do work on data, who want to work on data, that that work is still extremely important, but it's as important as is presenting and building a proper campaign around the the data that you collect. It is not, I mean, now it's very obvious that, you know, just collecting data and show and say, but look, the data says that um, isn't enough. I mean, it's never been enough, but now it's very obvious that it's not only about uh, you know collecting the data; it's about making sure that you then also know how to present a strong argument on top of that. <clears throat> on the personal side, uh, it's changed everything. <laughs> in that, I am actually going back to school to um, in September specifically to learn more about how algorithms, algorithms, and algorithmic um, decision making is. Um, is, is influencing, you know, human beings and society. And I even wrote a paper that's published, but, but that I would plug shamelessly
0: later on in the call. You know, what are new technologies that I need to make sure that um, uh, the organizations that I'm working with are going to understand? So, ten, I know that you're, you know, you've been really trying to get your head around artificial intelligence um, and machine learning and all that. And, and demyst- you know, how do you demystify that? So just curious about, you know your how 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 you you you're thinking about approaching that and how do you get organizations to really understand and grapple with new technologies that are coming down the pike every time a new tool
2: comes it brings with it all sorts of beautiful promises of things that can be done with it. Uh, it also brings a, like a huge iceberg of complexity with it that's not as visible as the shiny promises. Especially if you think about you know data mining and machine learning and semantic analysis and you know oh the AI can help us figure this out. We just have to like throw documents at it and then we will magically get to a solution. I think like the main the main um, risk and the main challenge is uh, making sure that you know that your demystification game is uh, is t- top notch uh, to make sure that organizations know and understand how to navigate all these like promises because every single new technology is kind of like exponentially more promising uh, but it's also exponentially harder to actually use, or it has a very specific and narrow focus. And I mean, Emma can talk a lot about that, about you know, like how much data science can can and cannot uh, help in, in different types of contexts. And kind of like being able to demystify that and getting people to kind of like inoculating people about and around uh, mm, 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 understanding what you know what can and cannot be done, and kind of like use this critical approach towards new technologies is like it's it's where it's at.
1: I think we've been—I would say—civil society has been pretty good at pointing out all the potential um, problems with big data um, <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, responsible data issues. Um, I think, God, um, so I mean, what we do at DataKind is most of our projects are require like involve machine learning and building algorithms. That's what we do. I suppose what we're trying to do is show how it can be done well. And within what context it can work. Um, So, you know, as an example, we're working with a food bank in Yorkshire at the moment and building an algorithm that can help them understand who's more likely to need extra support. Um, You know, and we've been moving quite slowly with it. We've been, you know, have a risk log. We're trying to understand what what harm it it could bring as well as the positives. Um, But I think actually there aren't that many examples out there of where this stuff works well uh, and there are so many examples of where it's not gone so well. I mean, you just have to read Kathy O'Neill's book <laughs> to understand that. Um, and I, I think actually the you know, data kind is trying to show the, the positive side and like where this stuff can work. Um, and I think to actually to go back to Tins' point from earlier, like it's, it's quite hard to implement a lot of this stuff. It's like easy to build prototypes, but really hard to implement. And I think that's part of the reason there are so few examples to show of, you know, machine learning, algorithmic decision making uh, for social good that is doing its job well, because most nonprofits aren't able to implement this stuff yet. Um, whereas big companies can and are and are racing ahead and doing it without necessarily thinking it through.
0: Kathy O'Neill's book is Weapons of Math Destruction, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good.
0: Wonderful, wonderful read. Any questions for each other? I have two for Emma.
1: Oh God! Okay, go on. <laughs> uh,
2: the first one is uh, you were talking about um, how data kinds strategy works well with service delivery organizations because you know m- machine learnings and algorithms can uh, work well in that situation because even if you don't have. You know, big data, you have a continuous flow of data so it can work in that because it's constantly, you know, f- um, kind of like fixing itself. Um, what are the biggest challenges? And I know, that I know this is a huge topic, but from like the experience in the UK, what are the biggest challenges in trying to work with through data science with campaigning works like Global Witness when, you know, the big data isn't so big?
1: uh interesting so well first of all uh, the data we work with with a lot of the service delivery organizations is also, is quite awful it's pretty patchy um mm-hmm. you know it, it's not it's pretty rough and ready analysis that sometimes we, we have to do um i so with global witness we're using open data so it's all companies house data so it's not data they have themselves collected so it's a different um, kettle of fish so to speak um to be honest a lot of our projects mix internal data of an organization. So for example, what an organization knows about its beneficiaries or even about its, its supporters, its membership with open data. Um, so we're often kind of mashing together lots of different data sets, which is, you know, what the kind of the fun of data science is, is that we can now hack together loads of weird data sets we never originally would have done. Um, so I, I don't know that I can I'm, we haven't worked with enough advocacy campaigning orgs either to, to quite know. I mean, I think a lot of campaigning orgs that are more like, you um, what are the campaigning orgs that like do online petitions and all those like AvaS and all those guys, like those guys have got data science down. Obviously, they were, they were built with like digital in their blood. Yeah. Um, so I think it's I think the amnesties uh, and the more traditional researchy, investigationy ones are slightly more interesting because they're having to go through quite a big cultural shift at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't done that much with them, so I don't know if I can say anything particularly intelligent on that matter.
2: No, that's really interesting. I, I like the, like, so, so, because the concept of the matching up what they have with, with other sources that can be useful there, that's also a huge chunk of like service that you provide. You help them understand which, you know, data sets can be mashed up and what kinds of results there can be. That's pretty awesome. Uh, question number two, when are you guys coming to the Balkans?
1: Oh, that is great. I don't know. So basically, DataKind goes where there are existing communities of data scientists. And I'm just not uh, sure uh, if you can give us a heads up on where in the Balkans there are um, hubs of data science people.
2: I just gave myself work, didn't I?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, obviously, it relies on it's volunteers, so we have to go where there are kind of active you know, communities, um, mm. basically. That,
0: But that still reminds me, Emma, because one of the things I wanted to make sure that we got you to do was do that definition of what a data scientist is.
1: Oh, God, interesting. Okay. Uh, right. So if we think that data science is using advanced analytical and computational techniques to get new information from data, usually for the sake of supporting organizational decision making, um, which you know, in and of itself could be, you know, I would say more traditional kinds of business intelligence as well. Um, but, but I think how data science is different is that it includes, as I said, different kinds of data sources. Um, uh, you know, it can be satellite imagery and video and all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's often quite forward looking. Um, and so you're trying to predict things as opposed to just report on what happened in the past. Um, and then data scientist is someone who tends to have a, statistical skills mixed with you know coding and and computer science skills and key thing and they have kind of issue area expertise (laughs) Um, I mean so if you think that a data scientist who works in say the insurance industry is going to do very different kinds of crunching as opposed to a data scientist who like works for a supermarket for example Um, it's I mean it's quite a broad term um, which is a bit of a catch-all. Um, but in terms of our work, what we find is that we have we have data science volunteers, but, but they don't necessarily know anything about the issue area because we're working with, you know, a charity that works with elderly people in a deprived area or whatever it may be. And so we have to work really closely with the nonprofit because they have the issue area expertise. And then we have the data people and we have to like very carefully, you know, the team cohesion is really really important when we work on projects like that um because there's like a key piece missing actually from
0: that well but because the thing for me when you say you know we've got a volunteer of uh, sorry we've got a volunteer army of data scientists that we're we're doing like i'm super impressed because i'm thinking uh well I, regardless i'm super impressed but you know i'm thinking data <laughs> scientists are people with phds right uh, a lot of them that.
1: Yeah. So a lot of them do have PhDs in, in stats and and maths and physics and like, I don't know, computational biology or something. Um, but a lot of them have have learned on the job. I mean, so data science came out of industry. It didn't come out of academia. So actually, if you've got an actual masters in data science, then you're probably really young because most people don't. (laughs) And a lot of people just have a background more in maths and stats or physics and just learn on the job and taught themselves to program. Um, so it's quite a new field and then also, I mean, it all, when we start talking about artificial intelligence, we're not really talking about anything different. It's all the same stuff and it's the same people. Um, and I think we're kind of, I feel like every year there's a new buzzword. And, uh, so we went, went from like a while ago being data science, machine learning and that's also intelligence. And I feel like people don't realize this is just the same. These are the same people. These are the same issues. It's all the same jazz. Um, but, but we, uh, just put new labels so that it sounds cool and sexy.
0: <laughs> that is very and yes that couldn't be truer and again very impressed um did you have a do you have a, a question or two for tin
1: yeah i kind of just wanted to know <laughs> um like when i just wanted to know like i'm always interested in failure stories of like the, the worst project you've ever <laughs> worked on obviously not naming names but like when you're working with an organization to help them implement a digital tool or do a data project and like it just didn't work and like what your takeaways were
2: Oof, okay uh i have one really good one and i but i have to like redact myself hard on it <laughs> okay. Okay. so but we can say it was a it was a project for a, a Country that is a democracy by name, but a totalitarian regime by everything else, um, that wanted to create a system to um, open up their data, and their starting point point was to think about installing the CCAN instance. Uh, for you know, for for the for the listeners who are not familiar with Ccan it's an archive platform, a platform that archives and presents uh, open data for a government. Which you know basically presumes that you have the data that to put in. It's kind of like saying I want to start uh, growing um, wheat, and my first step will be creating a huge hangar, hoping that it will be full of wheat for some unknown reason by probably magic. So I think that that was a very interesting one because it was uh, it like it actually required a lot of breaking down concepts and breaking down um, uh, the the data pipeline. You know, basically. It's, taking the group, the organizations back to uh, what it means to actually produce data and where does this data come from and where does it live today? And it doesn't live in, in very nice places today. It lives, but it lives, you know, in big ledgers, um, handwritten ledgers, literally. Um, so, and it, that was like the biggest challenge was kind of like take, take a lot of steps back to see what what can be practically done so that one day a Ccan instance might be useful. Uh, but I mean, that's unfortunately, I mean, that's pretty much where we left it off because then, you know, the government buy-in kind of just fizzled
1: at that point. But you basically dissuaded them from doing the project.
2: Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I think I dissuaded them from doing that project because they understood that it would have been pointless. But I think there are other, I think they probably just like shifted around some things and then just dedicated them themselves to other parts of it. Uh, and my fear is that, you know, um, well, we can say like, the, the worst case scenario would, would have been spending a lot of resources to build an empty platform. Uh, at least that won't happen, but I don't know how far we will get with, you know, actually starting to start from the, the, from the actual, from the ground to build the process. Because again, it puts, it will probably take years to get to a point where, you know, they are actually ready to use a Ccan instance and it's, and, and it lost completely its shininess, right? A CK instance can be up in a couple of months and we can say there's something and we can point people to a web link. But telling people we're doing a six-month pilot project on digitizing processes of collecting data uh, that one day might result in a better data set for decision-making and efficiency. is like, oh, that's, that
0: sounds so sexy. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say, like, the, the big... Uh, uh, indicator for me that a, a project is likely to fail is if somebody walks in with just the like, we want to use this tool um, because <laughs> it's this tool. Um, and you know that they haven't done the uh, the hard thinking. But then the other thing I think that, that uh, has also uh, an indicator for me around technologies or an indication for failure. Uh, often, you know, when groups are t- starting to grapple with technologies, if they don't have, if the organization itself is not a healthy organization and knows what it wants to do, um, the technology can often highlight the, um, you know, the, the lack of strategy or the lack of, of, um, of thinking through of, of where the organization is trying to head and the impact it's trying to make. Um, and so, you know, yeah. That can just be yeah, huge indicator.
1: But so on, just on that actually, um, when we start a project, we have you know we have this like data maturity assessment we do to try and work out where an organisation is at and what kind of support they need. But really, what I wish we had was a like. Are you well managed or not? Assessment because I think that is also so key, but you know, yeah. we don't dare go there. Um, but I think you know if it's a badly managed organization, then like the last thing they need is technology. Um, well, but,
0: but you know that's really valid because I think that's one of the things that you know for for us as intermediaries around data and technologies, um, you know, you 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 start to understand what what uh, that looks like in terms of you know what is bad management, and and then it's the bit of like you know you you you. Try to figure out how to use your, um, your intervention to sort of highlight in a gentle way that is sort of techno- you know, based around this discussion where you can get that out. And there's a fine art and science. And I would have to say just to get the title in once more, mad skills uh, <laughs> to sort of get that happening. But um, also, Emma, I am so glad you know, that you've, you've mentioned the, the data maturity checklist a couple of times because that is something that a uh, resource that people have uh, mentioned a couple of times in this series i um, curious in terms of you know do you have other things you want to plug in terms of data kinds UK stuff that people should know about
1: uh yep so we recently set up uh office hours so if any nonprofit, social enterprise charity wants to just come and get some advice either like literally we can look at your data and say like you know, what, what state we think it's in, or if they want to throw around some brainstorming about what's possible or not, then it's the first Wednesday of every month in Old Street. Um, you can also join virtually. Um, and I think, Dirk, you can share the link. Um, so that's just like free advice with some data scientists. Um, and then we also have um, this kind of newly formed peer-to-peer network. So if you are in the UK and you are a data scientist or um, a, doing advanced analysis within a nonprofit, then email me and you know, join that group. Oh, and just on the data maturity um framework. It's definitely not a checklist. It's definitely far too detailed for its own good. Um, But just in terms of how people have been using it, it was quite interesting. So we just kind of put it out there. And we've been getting feedback that senior leadership teams of charities have been sitting down with it and trying to all agree on where they think they as an organization sit on it, on this kind of framework, and then using that to work out what the next level is for them. So to help build and like design a data strategy off of it, um, which is quite cool.
2: Interesting uh i have two things to plug one is um i wrote a paper around the role of algorithms in digital media uh and it's uh, it's an open uh, it's, it's on GitHub, so anybody can wow. download it and use it as a movie as an epub it's actually also on amazon you can go and purchase it for your kindle I'm going all in with the web publishing here. Uh, it's an—I mean, I would—I I would like to say it's a light read because it's eighty pages, but it might get dense-ish at some points. But uh, what I would like for people who are actually joining this call—if you're interested in checking it out and then letting me know what you think—the whole idea of having it on Gitbooks is that you, we can, you know, revision it and 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 build it up. Um, that's one. And the other thing is, uh, speaking of office hours, uh, uh, likewise, if you go on my website, which Dirk will then plug later on, tame.fyi slash. About. Um, you can book a call with me and chat with me about things. I have this. Uh, I, I like. I do like quick interventions for anybody who wants to do them, and I try to keep my schedule like open enough for to give thirty minutes of chat to anyone who has need
0: for a chat. Are there any sort of readings, uh, resources, or um, projects out there that you're getting inspiration from <clears throat> in terms of your own work? Um, what's inspiring your 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 work?
1: Uh, so I already mentioned Kathy O'Neill's Weapons of Math Destruction. I think if you haven't read that, you should read that.
2: Plus, um, I'm new into that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've just started reading Everybody Lies, um, which I'm really into. I don't can't quite remember the, the author's name, um, but it's uh, he's uh, a former former data scientist at Google, and he's um, been analysing a lot of kind of internet search data and seeing oh. what human humans are actually looking at on the internet, which is quite sad but totally fascinating. Um, so it's about you know how how weird sides of us get revealed through search engine data.
0: That's, and um, I, I have to say, I, have to, I heard an interview with him recently, uh, and and that stuff is, yeah, The uh, the searches around porn were really, yeah, Anyways.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we wanna keep this safe for work. So <laughs> Yeah, imagine also sure how relevant
1: that is people's like job here. But anyways, um, and then oh yeah, the only other yeah. thing was um, Data Kind in the States has like a data science one oh one resource they put together, which I think is probably just handy if people don't know what data science is and want to learn.
2: Uh, again yeah plus a million to to weapons of math destruction um so a couple of things that i that i like to um that i like to use from this perspective are like raising you know the ambient data literacy knowledge of organizations um i love 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 uh, databasic.io which i know that um rahul was on on the podcast as well i think it's a great tool to start <clears throat> playing around with the, some fundamental concepts and getting like to get into grips with some fundamental concepts of what can be done through data now. And in the same um, in the same vein, uh, rawgraphs.io. Is, um, is an, basically it's an online uh, data visualization tool that uses a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, visualizations from uh, one of the most famous you know visualization libraries, the D3 uh, library, and it's actually a really good tool to use when you talk to people around how you can tell stories with data because you have so many different options for, of data to choose from and different like very basic data sets you can use to kind of like walk people through what do different visualizations mean and how you can visualize a certain type of data rather than another type of data, when does a histogram make sense and so on. Uh, and it's actually a really, really interesting dialogue that starts because people start thinking in terms of what can I get the data to tell me through different types of you know, manipulation of that data. Uh, and the last one about the algorithms is uh, Data Society uh, published uh, a really, really cool paper called Media Manipulation and Disinformation Online. It kind of does this like scoping style, like a mapping out of like the main actors and drivers of this post fact, you know, fake news uh, world, and it's a really good read. It's a really good scope.
0: You know what we where we've gone in the conversation, and then thinking about these things that we are plugging in these resources, just to say, you know, how important it is uh, for uh, intermediaries, but also organizations themselves, to be sharing learnings, right? And how important that is for us to be able to keep functioning, uh, in the jobs that we are doing and, and moving things forward. So, you know, both of you, Tin and, and Emma, you are, are, uh, really excellent in terms of getting, getting your learnings out there. And I, I just want to applaud that, um, and, and want to make sure that people are encouraged to keep that kind of behavior going because we, as a sector, need to learn from one another rather than, um, being uh, proprietary around our knowledge and and keeping it closed within ourselves. Um, Anyways, my little, you know, theory of change, never mind. (laughs) This concludes this edition of Data as a Team Sport. I'd like to thank our guests, Emma Prest from DataKind UK and Tim Geber for sharing their learnings, wisdoms and experiences in being mentors, mediators and developing mad skills. I'd also like to thank Caitlin Rogers and the rest of the School of Data team for all their work and support in developing this series. You can find notes from this conversation along with the links to all the resources we've mentioned and view the video recording of the conversation in the blog at schoolofdata.org. Our next edition of Data is a Team Sport will look at the challenges and incentives for government to engage in data literacy. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this has helped to illuminate and inspire your own efforts around data literacy.